Well, good morning. It's good to see you this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, and I pray you do, if you would turn with me to Galatians chapter 1. A little bit different. We don't normally have our New Testament reading directly coincide with our sermon text, but we did that today. So thank you, Miss Lauren, for reading our sermon text for us earlier in the service. Uh, we are starting today a brand new book, so if you haven't been with us, maybe you've been in and out this summer, uh, maybe it feels like you're a little bit detached from what we've been studying, that's okay because we're beginning a brand new series today, um, the book of Galatians, we're going to work through that, and as you're turning there to Galatians chapter 1, let me ask you a question, uh, have any of you ever received a handwritten letter from somebody before? You ever received hand? I know... It's probably not as popular now as it used to be. may even date myself a little bit with that. But for you, it may have been from a pen pal, right? And all of our students that brought their backpacks today for the blessing of the backpack are saying, I don't know what a pen pal is, right? But maybe you had a pen pal. Maybe it was just a family friend. Uh, some of you remember, uh, I, we, Amanda and I only ever had one friend that did this, but some of you may have had friends that around Christmas, when they would send their Christmas card, they would write a letter. They kind of caught you up on all the things that had happened in their family throughout the year. Uh, and, and so some of those things we can remember. And if you can remember the feeling of getting a handwritten letter, whether it was from your mom or from a significant other, maybe when you were serving somewhere else, you know that it was something is very meaningful, right? When you opened that letter and you saw their handwriting and you knew it was their handwriting and they had taken the time to write these things down for you with you in mind, it's very personal. It's a deeply moving type thing. And the reason I'm asking you that question is because what we're looking at today, we always refer to it as the book of Galatians, uh, as we do the other books of the Bible. But what I want you to recognize is it's not really a book. The book of Galatians was not written to be some standalone book outside of the Bible. What it is is a handwritten personal letter from the Apostle Paul, we'll see that, to the churches of Galatia. So these are people that he knew. He's thinking about them. He's not just writing some uh, ad hoc book for anybody to pick up. And to consider, he's writing a personal letter as he's inspired by God to write this letter to these specific people to address very specific things. And so we'll see that even some today in the introduction, but as we go throughout the book, I want us to have in mind what it is that we're looking at here. So, again, we've already had the text read in its entirety. So what I would like to do is to read verse 1, and after I read verse 1, I'd like for us to pray together before we spend some time really considering what we see here uh, and how this letter to the Galatians might be useful in our life as well. So Galatians 1.1 says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Father God, we are thankful that we have here before us this letter that you have preserved throughout uh, centuries, Father, that we would be able to have it, that we could see it, that we could read these words that Paul wrote to these friends, to these people that were so dear to him. Father, to these men and women that he was discipling in the faith, but Lord, we're also reminded today that these are not just the words of Paul, that these are your words, the words of God. 
and that they are perfect in every way, and that they are specific to deal with very particular issues. And Lord, we all need help in dealing with the same things that the Galatians were dealing with. So Father, I pray today that as we read a letter from Paul to the Galatians, that we're also cognizant of the fact that we're seeing a letter from God to us. And Father, that we would heed these things, that we would think deeply about them, that we would seek to be able to take the truth that we find here and allow it to impact our hearts and minds so that we would love you more deeply and so that we would love and serve the people around us as well. Lord, be with us this morning. Help us to be focused and our minds to be clear during this time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so here in the very beginning we see kind of typical fashion the introduction to a letter, right? We see the person who's writing the letter recognizing who they are. It's always important when you get a letter to know who the letter is from. If, you're, if you've ever been a pastor or a coach or a leader of any type, you don't like receiving anonymous letters. Those aren't the kind that you want to open and read. They don't usually have good things in them. What we have here is Paul recognizing who he is as the human author of this letter. Now, when Paul refers to himself as an apostle, that is a, a word and which the meaning of is so loaded that I could spend the rest of the time that we have here now and Wednesday night looking at it. But to, to be a little bit more brief than that, there are really two categories that I want you to think of whenever Paul says Paul and Apostle. And the first one would be what we would call a capital A Apostle. Now, what, why do we say capital A? So in that sense, we're talking about an Apostle as the office of apostle. This is not something that's ongoing. There are not people that are still capital A apostles today. There are different groups that would differ from me in that understanding. We feel sure about that, at least I do, that there are no capital A apostles today. Who were these men? When I say capital A apostle, I mean that Paul is recognizing himself as one of a group of men that were witnesses to Jesus' resurrection, that he did come back to life, who saw him after his resurrection and were specifically chosen and commissioned by the resurrected Jesus to be witnesses to his teachings and his resurrection and his power. Right, so we, we think of men here like Paul, like Peter, like John, these men that, God, that Jesus chose that he spoke to after he had come back to life, that he told to go and serve as his witnesses to tell people the things that he had taught and the things that he had done. And the scriptures tell us that those apostles lay the foundation for our faith, right? That is, the, those are the men that God has chosen to convey these words of the New Testament to us through. Right? Jesus is the cornerstone, but these men also serve as part of the foundation of the Christian faith. So in that sense, this is a very big word. When he says Paul, an apostle, he's recognizing Galatians, Christians, why should you listen to me? Why should you consider the things that I have to say to you today? Because Jesus has specifically handpicked me to be one of the men that were able to see him after he had come back to life. And that he is sent to tell you the things that he has to tell you. So in that sense, he's a big A apostle. But he's also 
a small a apostle. Now, what I mean whenever I say small a apostle, what are we talking about here? We're not talking about an office. We're not specifically talking about a title. But we're talking about is Paul's identity. The way that he views himself. Because you see, in this day and time, uh, apostle was not a specifically Christian term. Now, it's unlikely that you go anywhere in the world today and hear anybody that's not a Christian talking about an apostle. It's not a term that's used outside of Christian circles. But in Rome, it was. In this day and time, the Greek word apostle simply meant a messenger. Right, so, so if I need to go to the house for something during the middle of the day and I say, Hey, Chip, I need you to run over to the office and tell Miss Jan something for me. He would be an apostle of me. He's going to send somebody else a message that I have. It, in, in Christianity, apostle, the big A, it, it's an important office. It's a big designation. But in this day and time, the term apostle in the normal world, outside of Christian circles, wasn't a big deal. It wasn't a title that you wanted, because what it meant was you were somebody else's servant. right? Somebody else is telling you what to do. You're underneath somebody else's authority. You're not a top dog if you're an apostle. So people didn't go around bragging about being an apostle. Yet Paul is wrapped up and the fact that he is an apostle. It's a big deal to him. Why? Uh, let's just think about, I want to give you kind of the modern day equivalent of an apostle since we don't have that term very much anymore. What we have are ambassadors. So you may recognize the term ambassador. right? You think of somebody that, that the president chooses to serve as a representative that will represent him in the United States government in another country, chosen by the president, confirmed by the Senate, and then that person goes to that country and serves. But while they're there, they don't set their own agenda. They don't get to represent their own interests. No, their job is to represent the agenda and to serve the interests of the United States government. Right? They are there but they're really just conveying the message of somebody else. Now, why would that be something that you desired and loved to do, to be somebody's messenger or mouthpiece? Look back at verse 1, and I think you can start to understand a little bit more. He says, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, right? There, no president's chosen Paul. Right? No, no earthly leader has chosen Paul. It's not some human that's given him a message and sent him. No, he's a different type of an apostle. He has a message from somebody else. He says, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Now, I've, I've thought about this a lot. and I don't think that I can really convey to you the sense of excitement that I have about this. But, but here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, everything that I do is what Jesus Christ wants me to do, right? Here in my life, I don't carry my own message. I don't serve my own agenda. It's not about what I want or what I would like to see happen. All I'm worried about is representing Jesus as best as I can possibly represent Jesus. I am a servant of God the Father who is in heaven. 
The only thing that I am is his messenger, and yet he brags about this. He is excited about this. Everything about Paul is wrapped up in who God wants him to be and what God wants him to do. And praise God, brothers and sisters, that we have the opportunity to live lives like this as well. Right? We are not capital A apostles, but in the sense of a lowercase a, we should all see ourselves the same way that Paul sees himself. We should say, my job here in the way that I raise my children, in the way that I relate to my spouse, in the way that I, that I serve and deal with my co-workers or the people that work under me or my friends, everybody that I interact with and everything that I do, I do it in the manner that God would have me to do it. All of Paul's identity was wrapped up in who he was in God. That's point one this morning. Paul's identity was found in God, right? Not in his education level, not in his family name, not in his accomplishments, not in his diplomas, not in his degrees, none of those things. Whenever you said, Paul, who are you? He didn't start laying out some resume of worldly accomplishments, although he had a long resume of worldly accomplishments. Whenever he wrote the letter, he says, Paul an apostle of God through Jesus Christ. That's who I am. And I ask you this morning, brothers and sisters, as you read that, I pray that you're challenged because I ask you this question, where do you find your identity? When you think of yourself, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Is it, is it your job title? Right? Your, your vocation? Or is it some accomplishment that you have, some some board that you're part of, some title that you've achieved in some secular group? Is it in the fact that you're a parent or a grandparent? Is it that you're retired? Is it the, degree, the title that you have because of a degree that you have? Is it the sport that you play because of the team that you're on? Where is your identity found? When you look at yourself, how do you see yourself? And if it's not a servant of God, then let me challenge you with God's word this morning that, that we need to take on that mindset. Right? We do those things. I'm not saying quit your job and quit the team. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is those things are secondary and your relationship with God is primary. He's the most important thing. He's the thing that you focus on. He's the one that sets the agenda for how you do all those other things. Paul is wrapped up in the fact that he was saved, summoned, and sent by Jesus Christ. I pray that we are as well. All right, so the, the text here continues in verse 2. Paul recognizes it's not him, just him that's addressing these Galatians. There are other brothers that are with him. We don't know exactly who those are. He doesn't name them for us. Uh, but we see that often. Paul traveled with other brothers. He spent time with other Christians. And so he says that this letter in verse 2, he says, is from him and all the brothers who were with me. And then we see the recipients of the letter to the churches of Galatia. Now, that term, that phrase, churches of Galatia, may not mean a lot to you. I've spent a lot, a lot, a lot of time studying who the churches in Galatia were and what their background was. And again, I could spend a lot of time talking to you because the Galatians were my people. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, the Galatians ethnically were Celtic people. And those of you that know, 
that I'm Irish recognize that the background of the Irish people are Celtic people. So these Galatians are hard-headed. They're fighters. They are people that love freedom. All those things will come up in this letter. But they're also now Christians who have given up many of those vices because they've been united with Jesus Christ. And praise God, these people are my people. So, so Galatia, if you want to know where it was, if you're a geography person, you think today Turkey, the country of Turkey, in this day and time it was called uh, Central Anatolia. This is Rome. It's a Roman province. But what I'm more interested in than Galatia right here is the first part of this phrase, the churches of Galatia. Now, I know some of you have been in church for a really long time, but this is a reminder that I need often, and I think that we all need often. When Paul references the churches in Galatia, what does that tell us? He's writing to congregations of people, right? Sometimes when we think of a church, we think of a budget or a building or a board. That's not what a church is, right? This is a building, this is not a church. This is the church. Right? Y'all used to do this thing when you were a kid. Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the doors. Here's all the people. I'm just here to tell you. I don't know who taught me that, but they taught me wrong. Because this ain't the church. This is the church. Praise God. Amen. We're on the same page there. This ain't the church. This is the building. This is the steeple. Open the doors and there's the church. That's how it should go. It's just not as catchy, so we don't say it that way. But what are we talking about? He's writing to groups of people that he knew personally. Now, I told you that earlier, but if you want to see where this takes place, just write this down and do it later. Don't do it now, please. But Acts chapter 13 and Acts chapter 14. It's called Paul's first missionary journey, and during that journey, he goes through Galatia. Lystra, Derby, these areas, areas where he was almost stoned one time and he was stoned another time, taken outside of the city and left for dead, brought back, strengthened by God and continued about the work. These are the people that he's writing to. Very difficult areas that these Christians are living in. He knows them personally and so he's writing to them because he's heard of some things that they're struggling with and he's going to try and give them very specific instructions about how to deal with that. How? How can Paul do that? Because, as I said earlier, these are not specifically the words of Paul. These are the words of God that the Holy Spirit gave to Paul to write. So in a real sense, you can think of it this way. The issues addressed to the churches of Galatia are issues that you and I struggle with. And this letter is God's prescription for how to deal with those things. Point two, Paul's words were given by the Spirit. Right? He's writing a personal letter, but he's writing it at the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, and he's only writing the things that God would have him to write. So when we read this, we are learning what God would have us to do about our lack of faith, about our misunderstanding of righteousness. These things that are addressed in this letter are things that we need to hear, and this is what God would say to us about them. The last section we're going to look at, verses 3 through 5, 
In a very typical sense, he gives a greeting. Here he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Right, this sounds like a prayer that Paul would pray for them. He's praying that they would know the grace of God and the peace of God. And then verse 4, he says, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Now, let me stop here for a moment on verse 4 because verse 4, one sounds a little bit wordy and sometimes when things are a little bit wordy, we just move on quickly. And sometimes whenever we read things that are very familiar to us, because of their familiarity, they lose their impact. I tried to think this week about some things that we deal with every day that are so familiar to us that, that they're not even impressive to us anymore. But if you brought somebody from any other era of world history and brought them to today, that they would be absolutely astonished by. And one of the ones that has to be towards the top of that list for me is the fact that I can take this iPad or I can take my phone and I can pull up a website and I can see something that I want, right, whatever, a cup, a shirt, and I can click a button, and either sometime that day or sometime that week, that somebody comes and puts it in a box outside of my house. Right, now, that's, that's pretty impressive. You show that to anybody throughout any era of world history. You have a device in your pocket. They're already amazed by the screen, it lights up. And you press the thing that you want, and you wait, and you go look in a box outside, and it's in the box. And yet, all we do is complain because it didn't get in the box as quickly as we wanted it to get in the box, right? Our familiarity with the postal service and with these uh, online services is so clear and so real that we forget how amazing it is and how convenient it is. Well, I think we do the same here. If some of you heeded my call to read the book of Galatians in one sitting. And if you didn't do that this week, I, I still recommend that you do that in this next week. I did it early this week. They say it takes about 20 minutes to read through the book of Galatians, one end to the other on normal reading speed. And it took me right about 20 minutes. And so I think you could do the same. It has a different impact when you read it that way. But I think if some of you did, you probably, if you were being honest, read right through verses 3 and 4 like they were just, quote-unquote, part of the introduction. And you went on, let me find something that I'm not familiar with, but, but let me call your attention. Before we come to the Lord's table, let me call your attention to this presentation of the gospel. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Brothers and sisters, Paul highlights something here that he's going to highlight over and over throughout the book of Galatians, and indeed that it's highlighted all throughout Scripture. And that's, it's this, and I think this is the theme of the book, or the letter of Galatians. I think it's the theme of the Bible in general. It's the gospel message, right? This truth that there's a perfect God who is in heaven, who created people who are imperfect people, right? Through sin, we are not perfect people, and we have all sinned. And yet that perfect God sent His Son here to this world 
who lived a perfect life, and yet, as Paul says here, gave himself, right, freely chose to die an atoning death where he paid the penalty, in Paul's words, for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, right? Jesus came and he lived a perfect life and he died that atoning death, paying the penalty we should have to pay, and then was resurrected and brought back to life. And so now when we believe in him, we are promised eternal life, and that's usually the one thing that we look to most about our salvation. What does our salvation mean? It means I don't have to go to hell, and it means I get to go to heaven. And praise God, that's true, but praise God for this, that's only part of it. Right? As good as that is, that's only part of it. We were also, through faith in Jesus Christ, reconciled to God, right? That relationship is fixed and things are made right. And we're given the Holy Spirit who gives us strength to overcome sin, which is part of delivering us from the present evil age. It means that I don't have to live the way that I've lived for the majority of my life. That I don't have to do the things I used to do. I don't have to say the things I have to say. I don't have to be the person that I used to be. I don't have to lie about things to try and make myself look better. I don't have to make up some false identity so that I have purpose and meaning in life. So that y'all will think I'm important and useful. But I can recognize that God is the all-powerful God and that He loves me. And that He has chosen to make me His and that He has given me a message to go and share, and He has given me a plan, and He's given me purpose, and He's given me hope, and He's given me contentment. And even if I don't have anything else, that's all I need. we got to have so much more on top of that. Point three is Paul's mind was set on the work of Jesus. You'll notice a Trinitarian theme in the points today, right? We have... An identity found in God. We have words given by the Spirit. And we have a mindset on the work of Jesus, the gospel itself. So brothers and sisters, when you read that Jesus gave himself for our sins, I pray that that's an impactful phrase to you. That he, and you could add freely, and that's the idea, gave, right? It wasn't taken from him. He gave his life. Because that's the only way that we could be redeemed from our sins. It's the only way that we could be delivered from this present evil age. And it wasn't just some ad hoc thing. It was the will of our God and Father. It was the plan since the very beginning that this would happen the way that it did. And so, what do we do? How do we respond to that? Well, I think we see that in verse 5, the last verse here. To whom be the glory forever and ever Amen. What is that? That is praise. That's praising God. Giving glory to God now and forever and ever that our lives are wrapped up in praising God and worshiping God for who He is and what He's done for us. In the book of Galatians, you're going to see this theme over and over and over. Martin Luther summed it up this way. The righteous will live by faith. We will live by faith and we'll live by faith alone. Not faith and our good works. Not faith and our abilities. But we live by faith and only by faith. This book highlights how amazing and how sufficient Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection is 
for every need that you have. So brothers and sisters, if you're here today and you find yourself thinking that you're not enough, or what you've done is not enough, that you need to do just a little bit more to feel secure, then I pray that you'll join us as we go throughout this Galatians study. Because what you're going to find in this book is the reminder that you on your own are not enough. But in Christ, you have everything that you'll ever need. He's the only hope that we have, but that's okay because he's the only hope that we need. And we'll see that over and over and over. So before we come to the Lord's table, I do want to ask you a couple of questions. I want to ask you first the question I already asked earlier, and that's where is your identity found? Not whenever you Google your name, what comes up, but when you think in your mind, Zach Kilpatrick, you say your name. Somebody says, who are you? What do you say? I pray at the very top of that list as a disciple of Jesus Christ, right? A messenger, a witness, an apostle, whatever term you want to use. I'm one who serves and lives at the mercy of God. That's who I am. That's what I do. It sets the agenda for everything else. The way I treat Amanda is based on how God would have me to treat her. The way that I treat my children, the way that I serve as your pastor, is simply the way that God tells me to in his word. Is that the identity that you have. And if not, I ask that you would spend some time in a few moments when we have a time of response praying and asking God to change your mind and your heart so that that would be your identity. That would be how you see yourself. I also ask you today, is the gospel the cry of your life? Is it the thing that you think on and you just can't get over? Because that's what you see. I pray that that's what you see in the book of Galatians about Paul. Is, is he learned the gospel and he learned about God's grace and he never got over it. For the rest of his life he was just enamored by the fact that God loved him and that God saved him and that God would use him. Every day he just seems to have dwelled on those thoughts. Praise God. And I ask, is that, your, is that the cry of your life? Is that the thought that goes through your head every day? That God loves you and that God has saved you and that God wants to use you to do great things? I invite you to stand this morning and maybe you're here and you don't even have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And so you have questions about faith and reconciliation and what all those things mean. I would love to talk to you about that. Maybe you recognize that your identity has been in the wrong place and you need to spend some time praying. This would be a good time to do that. Maybe you haven't been thankful enough for the gospel and you want to spend some time thanking God for that. This would be a great time to do that. If you want somebody to pray with you, I'd love to pray with you. But before we come to the Lord's table to observe the Lord's Supper, spend some time responding to the Lord into this text, however He shows you would be appropriate as Brother Shane leads us in a hymn of response. Thank you.